Welcome to Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental illnesses to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Resilient Minds 365, where we discuss the resilient stories of entrepreneurs, professionals, and students with mental health challenges to encourage you to strive, thrive, and live in abundance. I'm your host, Cleone Crawford. Well, guys, today we have a special guest. We have Robin Pasco with us. Who is Robin Pasco? Well, Robin Pasco is the author of five books about global living for expatriates. And, a re- and recently published a memoir called The Carry-On Imperative, a memoir of travel, reinvention, and giving back. So with that said, I now present to you Robin Pasco. So Robin, how you doing? How's the day going? I'm great. Where are you from? I'm, I'm... <laughs> well, it's interesting. I'm sitting here in Costa Rica. That's where I am. I'm speaking to you from Costa Rica because my family, my daughter started an environmental not-for-profit, an environmental education center with our help. And so we're all here supporting her. But more importantly, she just had our grandson last week. So there's all sorts of wonderful things happening in Costa Rica for us. So that's where I, so if I have a big smile that you can hear in my voice, that's what, what it is. I'm in, I'm in paradise at the moment. <laughs> oh, that sounds wonderful. I'm in Canada and the weather is cold. So it's definitely not Costa Rica. <laughs> so my question, my first question for you is, so what is your profession? Tell us more about what your profession, what you do, how you got started and so forth. Wow. Well, I have been an, a writer, a journalist, uh, a brand creator. I've done, I've worked for 50 years, Cleone almost 50 years. (laughs) Uh, I turned 70 this year. So really, I was 21 when I had my first job on a community newspaper outside of Halifax. So I've been at this a very long time. I like to say that maybe I retired from paid work or retired from being operational at something. But when you're a writer, and you know, because you're a writer as well, writers never retire they just die. That's an expression I found someplace from somebody. The point is that you're always writing. So even though I might have stepped back from various operational positions, and I can tell you about that, I have basically, you know, I, I spend my days writing in, because it's just marvelous here. I wrote uh, this memoir, The Carry On Imperative, most recently uh, sitting here in Costa Rica on a balcony overlooking a fabulous view. Uh, and basically, that's all I want to do for the rest of my life is keep writing some mem- memoirs of the life that I have been able to have, which we'll be talking about, uh, that had a rough start to it, but turned out wonderful because I believe of the powers of resilience. And we can get to that because I know that's your that's your wheelhouse, so we can talk about it. But I basically, as I said, I started as a journalist. Then I married a foreign service officer, Canadian foreign service officer, and we spent 15 years going back and forth between Ottawa and Asia. He was an Asia hand. So we were posted in Bangkok, where our daughter was born, the one who just had a grandchild for us. We were, bo- we were assigned in Bangkok, Taipei, 
Beijing and Seoul. And after Seoul, our daughter was 13, our son was nine. I said, enough, we're going home. So we went to Vancouver because my husband was offered an interesting job. And basically that's where we have lived for the last 25 years. But when we were there, I took the books that you mentioned at the beginning that I wrote for expats. And I was very lucky. This was the 90s. And conveniently, Amazon was invented. The internet was invented. And I created the Expat Expert website long before there were any of these websites. And I managed to parlay those books I wrote in wanting to help expat women, wives, families, raised children, all those wonderful issues of mobility, I managed to turn that into a career. And I ended up from Vancouver, just traveling all over the world because I was invited or I got myself invited to speak at international schools, international women's groups, human resource groups. So I did that for almost 20 years, I guess. And then I thought I would retire. I was in my late fifties and I thought I'll retire now. And then my husband, though, <laughs> my husband and my son had created a business from our house called Maple Bear Global Schools. And here were these Canadian. This is the this is the subject of my next memoir. This is the largest Canadian brand, educate largest Canadian education brand in the world that nobody knows about because we did it <laughs> from the bedroom of my son <laughs> and basically traveled all over the world again because my husband said. Robin, you you know communications. Could you create a brand? I said, I don't know how to do a brand. Anyways, I created a brand for Maple Bear and for pretty much 10 years, traveled the world with my husband to all our schools because there's over 400 schools now in 40 countries. And we went all over the world and basically the pandemic stopped us cold. We, we couldn't travel anymore. And ironically, we had just sold 70% of the company to Brazilian partners, and then our schools closed. All of which to say that I've had a very long, very varied career, always yeah. though about writing words and helping, and helping other people sort through some of their challenges. And not that I'm remotely qualified to do the therapy and things like that. I used to always say myself when I lectured, I'm not Dr. Phil, because I used to talk about marriage. <laughs> I, I'm only a journalist who's writing about this and who has experienced it. So if you find that my books raise challenges that you realize you might have, please seek counseling. That was something I was always adamant about. I was not a mental health professional. I leave those issues to the professionals. I could only raise the challenges Kind of not ever make light of them, but have women look at things kind of, you know, optimistically and maybe with a bit of a sense of humor, because that was my message. If you're going to follow someone around the world because his job's taking you there, don't leave home without your sense of humor. So that's basically a, so now I'm here, I'm just writing books, listening, looking, enjoying grandchildren and basically getting up every morning and being grateful for the wonderful life that I've had despite a rough start. And that was that's really the starting point for what we want to talk about, I think, which was how do you have resilience if you have a bad start in your life? Right. So all over to right. you now. <laughs> that leads me to my next question. So first, it's, so we're going to move on to the mental health part of this interview. So the, my first question is, what is your mental health diagnosis and when were you diagnosed? 
Well, I don't think I've ever been diagnosed with general anxiety disorder, but mm -hmm. it's so obvious. And this became out when I was writing my memoir, The Carry-On Imperative was like, you know, you've had anxiety your whole life. And it came out in different ways. Uh, anxiety and depression, you know, which can be, you know, uh, they're kind of twins. You can have anxiety, you can have depression, but I definitely had anxiety, which I believe was the result of this early loss I had. My mother dropped dead of an aneurysm when I was young, when I was 12 years old. Mm. Uh, I shouldn't say she dropped dead. She died over a weekend. And uh, it came out of nowhere because I always say brain aneurysms always do. They come out of nowhere. She was only in her mid-40s. I was 12 years old. And that was bad enough. Uh, horrible, whoa, like, you know, here one day, gone the next. And when I went back to school after a week, because we had our a week of mourning, I went back to school. And what happened? I was 12 years old. I was running around the, the, the my elementary school gym and I bumped into a kid, broke my foot, literally broke my foot. My poor father, who had just gone back to work, had to come get me, take me to, the ex, to get an x-rayed. And long story short, I ended up having a cast on my foot for six weeks and was left alone in a, my classroom because in those days, because I said I'm 70 now, in those days, kids went home for lunch, but I had nobody to pick me up. I was left for the first six weeks after my mother died by myself in a classroom, eating my lonely sandwich, wondering, huh? Like, where is everybody? It was that initial piece of, I guess you would call it abandonment, that absolutely fueled the anxiety that has really chased me my whole life. The idea that, oh, you know, uh, I'm kind of left hanging. I'm, le I'm, I'm left out to dry here. However, that, that's, that, so that was the initial trauma. And I absolutely believe that that's caused essentially lifelong anxiety, diagnosed, undiagnosed. It's definitely, you know, certainly I've been in therapy. I've done all sorts of therapeutic treatments to try to cope with the anxiety. But I'd say it's absolutely tied to the sudden death of my mother when I was young and the feelings of abandonment following that incident. Okay. So despite the um, your childhood tra um, trauma with uh, anxiety, um, how did you become resilient despite that? How did you come to become now a person who was able to release all of that that energy and now take on this, you know, you're traveling the world and you're doing great things. And yeah, so how did you become this person now? Well, it's, it's interesting that that's a good question because it, 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 as I said, writing my memoir, I was looking at it, well, how did I do this? And this is what I discovered. First of all, resilience, and I'm gonna be, I'm talking to you, the expert, resilience you know it's a number of factors some of it is nature some of it is nurture i believe okay so by nature i'm a very happy positive person always was my father used to always say to me rob you don't stay mad long i was just always a happy person okay so that's the nate and i like to look for the positives in people and in situations but i believe the nurture came from what i like to think of as the role models of resilience i had around me so, for example, I, I credit my father first and foremost. When we finished the week of mourning, the traditional week of mourning that we had after my mother died, I saw him get up, put on his clothes, make a sandwich, and go back to work. 
He put one foot in front of the other and carried on. It's, you know, this is one of my themes, the carry on. I joke with people. My book is called The Carry-On Imperative, but it's it's not about luggage. It's about baggage. It's about the stuff you haul around, right? But I watched my father. That was my first role model of, you know what? I know he was just devastated. He was only in his mid-40s. He had three kids, the youngest of whom was myself, who was 12. But he got up and he went back to work. That was a very powerful role model. Mm -hmm. And then I discovered that really, almost unconsciously, I was always looking for role models. Who I was always looking around and admiring people. So I'll give you another example. When I was in high school, one of my best friends was blind. And I remember the, her, her arriving at my school and my, my, the, 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 the teachers asking me to be the one who shows her around. And I was going, okay, whatever. I found her so fascinating because she had had childhood blind and she got on with her life and she had this apartment I want her name was Patty I watched Patty just move on she was like yeah I'm blind but you know what I'm carrying on I'm doing my thing she didn't let it get her down she I would say she was probably my first non-family member of resilience that I looked at I went well nothing's stopping her and I guess unconsciously my whole life I I looked to people who I felt you know I admired whether they were even to this day, I have a friend, her husband's not, is, is dying of cancer, and I watch her get up every morning and get on with the life and look after everybody. I look to real people for inspiration for how they did it. You know, I don't necessarily have to ask them or interview them, although that's my want because I'm a journalist. I'm like, how'd you do this? How did that, you know, how'd that happen? But basically, I, you know, I looked for people who could show me the way, who could, you know, and then... I wrote about this very recently in the Toronto Globe and Mail that in our foreign service life, I came across incredibly resilient role models. Our first posting was in Bangkok and my husband and I went up to these refugee camps where the Vietnamese refugees, the boat people who I identified in my book as the, or in this, in this essay I wrote as the most successful cohort of immigrant refugees to come to Canada. I watched them survive rickety boat rides. They came to Canada and thrived. And then we were, we were assigned to Seoul, South Korea in the 90s. And I saw pictures of Seoul that had been leveled during the Korean War. And I saw this fascinating, bustling city of Koreans who just got on with it. And I thought, they're good role models. I, I looked at people. So when I look at resilience, I, I acknowledge I have my own, you know, my own nature helps, but it was, a, it was very important to me. And it's what I recommend to people. It's like, look to the role models. Who do you see in your life who has literally got, picked themselves up, dusted themselves off and moved on. Now, having said that, it doesn't mean there's not problems. There's not moments where you're going to have to have therapy. There might be times you have to have some short-term medication. It doesn't mean that your life's just going to, you know, oh yeah, now I know resilience. I'm going to be fine. It doesn't work like that. And I'm sure you know that it doesn't, it's not, that's not the way. However, it's better to just, you know, keep moving on and looking for people who inspire you than sitting around talking to people who basically never move on. Mm -hmm. And some people absolutely can't move on for all sorts of reasons. Some of them very valid, some of them very understandable. But when I was writing that essay for the Globe, I was writing in particular about the pandemic generation who might grow up and go, oh, 
my life's messed up because it started with a pandemic. Doesn't have to be that way if they look for people who are role models for them. I mean, sometimes we, we're all built this way. We'll all look for excuses for stuff. Nobody's immune to that. But I think the people who are really working at getting over things and want to move on and want to adopt resilience, I think they'll be a little open to saying, you know what? Can't hurt to try that. <laughs> I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to talk to that person. I mean, it can't hurt. You know, I mean, it might not work for you, but at least you're trying something. And we all know that action always makes you feel better. You know, if you just sit back and don't do anything, you, you know, it is, it's hard to get up. That's depression. You know, I mean, that's when anxiety can turn to depression where you, you just, you're immobilized, right? So in this case, I think that finding those role models, whether they were a society, a people, uh, uh, even a novel where you're reading about a character, always find those people and think, hmm, what can I take away from that? I think that's my lesson. Definitely amazing, amazing. So the next question I have for you is what did you have to overcome or bounce? What did you what did you have to do to overcome or bounce back from your low points? It's our resources. So we know that we had your role models. So right. is there anything else that helped you to bounce back from your low points? Um, I would say that recognizing that sometimes you can't do it by yourself because that's part of the challenge. You know, so many people say, I'll get over it, I'll be fine, whatever. And you know what? They won't be fine. I think I knew, wow, I need some help. And you have to recognize when you need some help because therapy can be very, very helpful. And if you don't have to be in therapy for your whole life, you can go in and out of therapy. But recognizing that, you know what? I need help and I'm going to ask for it. A lot of people don't ask for the help. So I think... I was lucky that I knew, no, 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 you know what? There's mental health professionals and there's a whole industry that is there to help me. And again, with gratitude, I always say I had the resources to pursue some of this. But in Canada, we're very fortunate that we do have a universal healthcare system where you can find, you know, if you have to have a psychiatrist or medication or all the, that side, the medical side, you know, it, you aren't inhibited by the lack of resources, but mostly it's your inner self saying, you know what, I need help. How do I find it? So it, that's, I think what helped me was that I knew when to seek help and when to, uh, you know, and when to admit. Uh -oh. So for example, I, one of the ways my anxiety manifested itself, and I write about this in my memoir, and actually I used to speak about it, I had a profound fear of flying. I was so afraid of flying, which was crazy because I had to fly everywhere in the world. I mean, it was really kind of a, it's like, okay, I got to get over this because I got to get on a plane and go to China or wherever. I would get drunk. That was it. I, I mean, I don't even drink. I'm not a drinker, but on a plane, if I had vodka, I could handle the flight. So I would do the, I was, I'd get so anxious. I was drinking. It was not sustainable. It was like, either I was going to give myself alcohol poisoning, you know, no, that didn't work. So what did I do? I sought out a hypnotist. I looked at hypnotherapy as, you know, maybe this chap can, you know, help. Because he, I use hypnotherapy for smoking. I quit smoking with, with the help of hypnosis. So I thought, okay, here's a piece of anxiety, fear of flying. I'm going to, you know, seek some help for it. And I'm going to see whether hypnosis will work. Did it work? 
Probably not, although I joked in my book that I still think of Kevin Costner every time I take off because the, the, the hypnotherapist said, think of someone to distract you when you're taking off. And I went, okay. So I, I did, okay, Kevin, but didn't work. But the point was, I did get over it by seeking the help. And also, it did eventually go away, fear of flying. And that was a very powerful lesson also with anxiety that you know what? You can move past anxiety. That was profound for me. It was like, I thought, oh, that's it. I'm going to be afraid for the rest of my life. But no, it actually went away. It went away as I got older. Maybe I wasn't so worried anymore because I used to worry that what if I die on a plane crash? My children will be motherless. This was what was driving it, right? So mm -hmm. in the end, I got over it. And I thought, oh, you actually can move on from anxiety, which a lot of people don't realize that you can do. Sometimes anxiety does leave. You don't think it at the time. So all of which to say that my advice has always been seek professionals, whatever it is. There's a reason why people study this, why people offer, you know, coaching, why people offer all the services for it. Don't let, you know, don't let your own, oh, I'll be fine kind of attitude get in the way of maybe, you know, you never recover from a lot of things, but you can live with them and be happier. And I think, and be successful and thrive. That's my feeling. Okay. Those are some really great points. I really thought they were really good. Um, so my next question is, um, what are three things you wish you had available when you were at your lowest point? What did I say? I can't remember what I said in my little intake. Probably the internet. You know, the internet has been huge, huge. I mean, it's been bad for anxiety, but it's been very good. I mean, yes, I like to say very often now, I try not to consult with Dr. Google about anything because Dr. Google can make you anxious, you know, in, in a matter of seconds. Right. However, the internet, I wish I'd had the internet for finding other people who shared my concerns and who, you know, could give me, I should have found my tribe, as we always like to say, my, if I found my tribe of other people, whether it's like, like right now on Facebook, I found groups of motherless daughters, women like myself, who even 50 years later, my mother's been dead 55 years, you can still get an anniversary reaction on the day that she died. Like my mother died on November 1st, ironically, day of the dead. I didn't even know that at the time. It was like, oh, but every year on November 1st and Halloween, which was the last time I saw my mother, I would always get anniversary reactions and finding groups. So if I could add those kind of chat groups and those, those other groups, I wish I'd had those to just feel less alone because now I realize, oh, I'm not crazy. You know, I would have, I would have absolutely, uh, you know, had people. Um, what else would I have wanted? Um, I just not a lot because again, my life has been, I like to say I've lived a life of abundance. I've had amazing family support. I've had amazing good fortune in, you know, working hard at something and going, oh, actually, if you work really hard at this, sometimes it will turn into a success, you know, or it will come back to you. I have found karma has been a huge piece for me in my life. If you put out a lot of good energy in the world, mm -hmm. I firmly believe it comes back to you, which is why I write a lot about uh, giving back. It doesn't happen to me, philanthropy and those kinds of, things. it's not about money. It's about you. It's being generous with yourself. And mm -hmm. people have come back to me and been there for me when I needed it. So maybe another thing I would have liked is to, you know, have recognized that 
I wasn't alone. I wasn't abandoned. That there were an amazing number of people who really did care about me. So I, I think if I could have done something differently, I would have changed my attitude. Going, oh no, you know, nobody likes me. Nobody, you know, they're all leaving me. When instead of looking around, going, well, actually, no, that person's here, and so is that person. Because we do tend to do that. It is, you know, the ingrained negative bias we have as human beings. Oh, we're gonna look for the bad part. It's like, you know, you just have to pick up the, the, you know, a newspaper and everything's bad. You know, what about the good news? I'm always searching for good news. You know, what, what's, a, what's a story of kindness and generosity? I'm, I'm going to read that. So, again, I go back to the Internet. If I had the Internet, I would have been able to reinforce that, you know, the world isn't such a bad place in the sense that there still are very kind people out there and, and you know, and inspiring people. So the Internet and, you know, I kind of I really, I've pretty much had – most things in my life. So I'm not sure that there, I was missing a lot of pieces. I would have liked straight hair. You can't see me. Are you gonna, your, your listeners can't see me, but in my next life, I want straight hair and not to be mistaken everywhere I go for Barbara Streisand, which has been 50 years of my life. If everybody goes, oh my God, is Barbara Streisand here? And it's like, really? You think Barbara Streisand's in Burma or wherever I was? I don't think so. <laughs> so I would have liked to have looked like somebody else with straight hair. <laughs> I love it. Love it. Okay. So what words of hope can you give to our listeners? What would you tell someone? Well, definitely to look for role models, but it's absolutely, it starts with the idea that just because something's bad right now, whatever it is, doesn't mean that it's going to stay that way. That was something that I really learned because one of the other things I started to do in recent years for anxiety is meditation. That's been a game changer for me, meditation. I got one of those apps and I got onto the anxiety stuff. And basically it'll say to you, life is a passing show. I'm not, you know, I'm not following the Buddhist traditions. I'm following sort of the, the, the you know, the neurological, you know, impacts of meditation where you reframe things in your mind. So when you say to yourself, you're, an you're anxious or whatever, you, re you can, you know, you can calm yourself down by saying, you know what, this is all part of a passing show. And today it may be like this, but tomorrow it won't be like this, probably not, or the next day. So it is, you know, I mean, people need to, uh, you know, to, to think about life as one constantly changing. In fact, that's one of the things that I did. I can give this advice because I went all the way to India to get it. I write about it in my memoir. I call it desperately seeking enlightenment. And I went to a, an ashram in India because my cousin from Cape Breton, Nova Scotia, and a whole whack of Canadians have been up there for like 40 years, if you can believe it. So I went to interview his Swami, Swami Shyam. And I asked Swami Shyam about change. And this Swami Shyam, who was very enlightened, said, well, Robin, to understand change, you must understand unchange. And I looked at him and we're on a mountaintop here. I'm like, okay, what does that mean? Unchanged. And what he was saying is very profound. He said, understand the parts of you that never change. Like I was worried because we were moving and I was going, oh my God, what's going to happen? It's going to be a big change. Am I going to be okay? And he said, examine the parts of you that never change. He compared and I and it was so profound to me. It was like, you know what? He's right. My sense of humor is never going to change. My character is never going to change. I'm going to be fine. But life changes and events change, but I don't change. So that was something that was incredibly powerful for me. I he he reminded me to look inward at myself and go, you know what? 
you are a strong person. So if somebody, if one of your listeners is struggling with something, and I used to say this to expatriate women who moved around, I said, remind yourself of something that you succeeded at. Okay, I use this example. It was really important. We were living in Taipei. I was a mess. I was like, oh my God, my son was two. My daughter was six. I was hysterical. I said, I I'm never going to be able to deal with this. I went out for a coffee, just I didn't even, near the hotel we were staying at. And I said, you know what? I need a notebook. So I went into the, this little stationery store. The man spoke no English, only Chinese. I had to act it out. I had to do this kind of, you know, imitate, you know, whatever. And I wanted some paper clips too. The joke was I had to act out a paper clip. It was so hilarious. But I came back and I said to myself, you have returned with the notebook and the paper clips that you set out to buy. Pat yourself on the back. Congratulate yourself. That was a success. Yeah. It was a minor success, but I felt so good about it. So I remind myself when I succeed at something, whether I get over something, anxiety, get over something or whatever it is, if you remember, oh, I actually, I'm actually quite good at that. Or I succeeded at that. I'll be fine. So you can see this is all, and I know you, this is what you write about. It's all internal, right? It has to be how you're processing everything in your mind. There's, there's a reason why they always say reframe everything in your mind. It's so powerful when you start seeing something as a positive, not a negative. I just listened to a podcast, for example, that said anxiety is your superpower. I said, really? I want to read this book. Okay, I'll listen to that. So you know what I'm trying to say is I, that's a positive way to spin what might be conceived as a negative or something you know bad. But I've reframed it again with the help of people much smarter than me. So you can see where I'm going with this here, because basically I've said in life general, you have to be humble and you have to recognize what you don't know. In fact, I, one of my interviews, I joked about when you write books and you know this because you've written one, you need a PhD in humility. <laughs> when you agree, it's like, okay, I'm not going to, I'm going to have a PhD in humility. I'm not going to take it seriously if somebody doesn't read it or someone doesn't react to it, because I'm just so grateful that I have the ability to do this. And if one person reads your book or my book and feels better, job done. That's how I approach life. There you have it. Love it. <laughs> so we're going to take a quick switch in the interview, just a quick switch. Um, as you can see behind mm -hmm. me, there's a book that says the music of my life. Basically, it's a book about um, my journey with bipolar disorder and music therapy. So my question to you is, what type of music do you like? I just have to say about music therapy, one of the things I did, and I wrote about it, when I was in between retirement and, uh, and being sucked into my husband's, our family business, Maple Bear, I took a year and blogged. The, I called it the year I took piano lessons. And I went back to my teacher, the teacher that taught my daughter. I hadn't played in 40 years. And I said, I better do this before my hands are arthritic or I can't see the music on the page. And for a whole year, I had piano lessons and blogged about it. And the music brought back so many memories of my childhood, of studying at the Royal Conservatory in Toronto and going to these recitals and being whatever. So my music, the music of my life, I think I said, you know, my favorite song 
and here I'm going to say Barbara Streisand again. She sings a song, Don't Rain on My Parade, from Funny Girl, and that's my anthem. I knew every word to it from the time I was 13, and the first time I picked up her album with that song on it. It was Don't Rain on My Parade. She was determined. That was She had a goal, and she went after it. And I think that would be the music of my life, I guess. Awesome. I love that. I love that. So how can we stay in touch with you? What are your social media handles? Well, I'm on, I have a, I created a new website, Robin Pasco, my name.com and all my author page from Facebook, my YouTube channel, my Instagram. I won't use TikTok. I tried TikTok last year and went, I can't stand it. I'm sorry. It's, I thought, I, okay, so I'm not going to do TikTok, but I have the Instagram and YouTube and it's all, they're all linked on my, my website, robinpasco.com. You can find everything about me there. Wonderful, wonderful. Well, Robin, it's been a pleasure having you as a guest on our show. Thank you very much for sharing and being very transparent with us. Thank you so much for having me and good luck with your own future and your own writing and the next few weeks. Thank you so much for having me, Cleone. No problem. And to all you resilient minds out there until next time, please subscribe to us on all our platforms and don't forget to rate the show and leave a review for us on Apple Podcasts. Also join the community at Resilient Minds and sign up for our monthly newsletter at cleanlycrawford.com. Be sure to grab a copy of our, my book, The Music of My Life, on all Amazon marketplaces to get to know me better. And if you can think of one person that can, will receive value from today's show or connect with Robin's testimonial, please share it with them. Feel free to take a screenshot of this week's episode of the podcast and tag us on Instagram. You can tag myself at only Cleone or Resilient Minds 365 or today's guest um, at Robin Pasto, I believe. Um, and remember, mental health is not a death sentence. Despite your illness, you can strive, thrive, and live a life of abundance. Until next time, I'm signing off and have a great super day.